Hello and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host TK, a teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, it was real to me too. This is part two of my discussion and analysis of Black Widow with Madam Amy of the Marvelous Madams podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter, and please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the episode. Just a quick note before we get into this week's episode. Once again, what you're about to hear is part two of my conversation with Madam Amy about Black Widow. If you haven't yet listened to part one, you might want to go back and do that first. Just to recap, in that episode, we talked about the context and timing of the film, as well as our general thoughts, likes, dislikes, etc. And our first big theme, which was about identity. So here you're going to hear us transition into our conversation about family and about choices as being other big ideas in the film. Enjoy the episode. All right. So, you know, the film... Again, we talked about the opening scene already, but we get a sense of how these characters interacted with each other in that three-year uh, experience in Ohio. We see very early on the established relationship between Natasha and Yelena with the whistling. We see that Melina is, we know she, later that she's playing the role, but she's playing the role of a caring parent it, it, well, and she's teaching them, she's making them feel better. And we get introduced to Alexi as well in this dad role. You know, again, it also seems like he, too, is, is caring for these kids. What did you make of, in Cuba, Alexi starts speaking in his accent when he sees Dreykov, and we see that there was you know, this ulterior motive here. What do you think of his decision to allow the girls to be taken away to the Red Room? He's a very charming, funny character later in this film. How much can we really forgive him for what he did there? Or is that something that, I don't know. What do you think? Oh, uh, well, for one, when we see Melina taking care of Elena when she fell down, uh, yes, they absolutely did play the role of a parent really well. But you can see a certain distance, in, mm. even though she's being affectionate. Mm -hmm. So we can see that there's something a bit off there. We know that, yes, this is a role. They may, they do genuinely love these girls, but they are holding themselves back because they know it's a mission at the mm. end of the day. Holding back. Yes, I like that. And with Alexi, I'm not sure about the forgiving, your, forgiving him aspect of it because, frankly, I don't think he would have had a choice either. Had he fought for these girls and not let them go back to the red room he would have been killed as would have these girls and these girls would have ended up there anyways and it goes back to what we were speaking about earlier on with melina and that learned helplessness and that being in that mindset i don't think he even thought that there was a choice mm. at all great point and this is just how it's supposed to be yeah, that's a great point. And I think that's consistent also. And I hadn't fully thought of it that way, but it is consistent with what he says later in the film when it's played for laughs. You know, he's trying to give his heartfelt speech of, yeah, I fought for a cause, right? I gave my life to a cause. Yeah. Um, but he really believed it, right? Like he really was. I think it's it's 
a wonderful comparison to to Melina, right? Like he really was fully wrapped up in this in this world and yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right that there was an extent to which his choices were taken away from him as well. And that's something we'll talk a little bit more about later, right? This idea of choice and um, a distinction that Yelena makes, right, between kind of psychological conditioning and then actual chemical subjugation, which is interesting as well. But mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think that it's a theme that really, it touches each of the characters in the family in a slightly different way. But I think that's important because I had been grappling with that. I was like, okay, you know, we have Alexi, he's a really lovable character, but, you know, he's he's complicit, as is Melina, right, is complicit in what happens to these girls, like this horrific trauma. And we see, you know, his face right before these girls get, you know, injected in the neck. And then we see the opening credits and we see that horror. So so his relationship to them is is kind of juxtaposed right there in that transition uh, to this horrific thing that happened. And, of course, they don't really take to him kindly when they're reunited. And that's totally understandable. But I, I think the point that you bring up here about his role in all this is very important as well. And there really is this theme yeah. and this connection with all of them. Yeah. And also with him, he wouldn't have experienced the red rib because we know it's all girls. Yes. Good point. So, and he, for him was, he got the super soldier serum and he became the red guardian. So his experience is a lot different than the girls. So had he known what would have happened with these girls, maybe he would have fought harder or maybe he did try to fight and we just didn't know about it. And he didn't actually actively say that or purposely hid that. And that's why he was sent to jail. Mm, Really interesting. Yeah. I hadn't considered that. Because when we meet him after the jailbreak, he tells Natasha that I don't know why I was sent to prison. Maybe I insulted his hair or I said something that I shouldn't have or something like that. He left it ambiguous. We don't know why, or maybe he, because we, he is portrayed as a bit of a (laughs) dum-dum that he didn't know why. Yeah. Great point. There really is this consistency when he reunites with them that even though it has been 20 plus years, right? And he is telling us that he, oh, he was so bored with this mission, right? And he wanted to get back into the action and all of these things. Like he never questions that they are family. Yeah. Uh, he is proud of them, right? And, and it's played, for, again, for laughs, right? You both have killed so many people, <laughs> like when he's like shaking their arms. <laughs> And it's it's funny, yeah. but you know he has there's there's this real genuine sense to him that he is proud of them, and uh, you know the the code by which he lives, like the ideology that you know he claims he was sold, right? Like, like the way that he has been conditioned, he has this consistency in his own sense of his moral code, and it might involve killing people and breaking some wrists or whatever it may be, right? But his love there is <laughs> is very genuine for for Yelena and Natasha, even after so many years. Yeah, his love is absolutely genuine and it is conflicting directly with his conditioning. Yeah. And that is the conflict we see on the on that dinner table. Yes. Which is a fantastic scene. Really the emotional heart of the film and one of my favorite scenes. It's so 
entertaining how they fall back into um like the banter of a family yeah. <laughs> don't yeah. slouch and oh you need to eat something and why are you dragging me into this like that's not fair it, it was just <laughs> so well done yeah and also if you notice they all sat in the same positions they did as what we saw in ohio yeah and it's something that you know obviously that was intentional in the in the framing of yes for the movie but that strikes me as very real too you know like i even just just personally like when I happen to be in the same place as the nuclear family with whom I grew up. We kind of mm -hmm. fall into, whether it be a seating pattern or whether it be just ways of communicating with each other that is so different than it's, if it's just any other combination of us, right? Because we're not always together anymore, but we, I grew up, we were together all the time, right? So it, it, that felt very natural, like they kind of just fell back into it. Yeah, absolutely. It is a very real thing to experience and sort of fall back into your formative years in that sense. Yeah. They all approach it, you know, somewhat differently as well, right? We have the kind of a sweet, maybe a little ignorant <laughs> approach coming from Alexi, right? Ignorant in that, you know, he doesn't really understand the trauma that they went through. And so it's easy for him yeah. to just be excited, right? Oh, our family's back together again. We have Melina, right? Very scientific, right? Our family construct was a calculated ruse. We can't use this term anymore, right? Like very calculated about it. And there as well, you can see the conflict because she does obviously care about these girls and had that affection not been there, they would she wouldn't have reverted back into that motherly mode of don't slouch, eat something. Yes. If it was all just, just an act. Exactly. They're so, all kind of struggling with their relationship to what it means to be this family. Yeah. I want to wrap up one other thought related to Alexi and his ignorance here. And I don't mean that word in a condescending way. I kind of mean it just like there are things that he does not know, as you mentioned, about mm -hmm. what the experience was like for Yelena and Natasha and the widows. And that is touched on um, in the helicopter as well, when he makes that joke about it being Yelena's time of the month when he hit, when she hits him, and then yeah. Yelena explains the the process of what getting the involuntary hysterectomy was like. And I, what did you make of that scene? Because I thought that it was a really well done way of balancing some humor while also bringing up something that is incredibly serious, something that you don't always hear about in in in, in these types of movies, right? It's something that when they introduced this hysterectomy idea back in Age of Ultron, it wasn't handled very well. It was kind of all about, oh, she can't have babies. Isn't that a shame? Whereas here, you know, you really get more of this brutal sense of what a violation it is to have something done to you that you didn't choose. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they intentionally did it in a different way so that it addresses that issue from Age of Ultron. And uh, I think it also tells us a lot about the kind of character Alexi, the kind of person Alexi is. He's still that old school mentality of, oh, hysterical woman equals PMSing. Right. And finally, when and when these girls are telling him about what, uh, and so it wasn't the girls, it was Yelena. Uh, 
And when Yelena tells him about what actually happened to them, it is the beginnings of him realizing that it's that they're actual people. Right. And they're actually going through a lot of terrible things. This is his beginnings of changing that mindset, that conditioning that he has. And it's played for laughs. I'm I'm a bit conflicted about that because frankly I could have done away with that joke about PMSing, yeah. but I guess it brought up an important point and it was necessary for his character to realize that he can't just play off these stupid stereotypes all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I heard on a podcast or read perhaps in, you know, sometimes when you read things about things that happen behind the scenes on movies, uh, the story changes a little bit. So you take it with a grain of salt, but I did read that the joke, Alexi's joke was in one version of the script and then when when the actors, Scarlett and Florence and, and uh, Kate, the director, kind of put eyes on it, they were like, ooh, that feels icky. And then mm-hmm. um, they had I, I, another writer kind of do a pass on the script, and that other writer worked in, um, you know, the follow-up to that joke. So instead of cutting the joke entirely, they decided, okay, this will use that as an opportunity to to work in this very real conversation. and. I agree with you that the joke shouldn't have been there in the first place, but you know, the way that it works here is to kind of serve as a indicator of where Alexi has been at, right? Like he doesn't know, right? He's certainly from a a time or, or from a, a context where making that type of joke would have been expected. You know, he makes a similar joke in the, um, in the prison scene, right? He tells uh, Ursa who's, he breaks like oh go cry like a little girl right just kind of like that casual language that certainly in this men's prison for however many years is probably what he would have been around so anyway yeah I think just the fact that they addressed it at all and kind of talked about that kind of visceral experience as being part of the very real trauma that these people experienced I think was a, a important move it was a brave move and again something that I don't know we would have seen in the film you know five ten years ago yeah, absolutely. And I think this is uh, this can be compared to the scene from Captain Marvel where the dude tells her to smile. Right. So it has similar feelings, that, that sort of uncomfortableness to it. Definitely. Like we're going to play the joke and then comment on the joke as to why it's not actually like funny. You know what I mean? And I think it's great that yeah. we're in a place in, in media now, popular media, mainstream media that reaches a lot of people that that is the conversation that like even if the comment or the joke is being made it, they're subverting it in a way yeah they're telling us that this is not acceptable yeah but five seven years ago it probably would have been the joke yes 100 percent. that's very much what i think too yeah so thinking a bit more about natasha's family in this movie and her relationship to them we should talk about Yelena and how she is uh, such an incredible character, such a wonderful performance from Florence Pugh, who is able to express so much with just her face, who has a wonderful comedic timing, wonderful uh, physical acting, 
who I can just continue to <laughs> to gush about Florence Pugh and Helena, <laughs> but I, I don't have to do that. Um, but she's just able to hit all of the notes here, an incredibly emotional performance in addition to a character who you just kind of immediately like because she's charming and funny. Well, first of all, Yelena is such, she's got such a dry sense of humor. I relate to that a lot because I tend to ha- tend to be really dry with my sense of humor. Just like the granola bar and, that she was eating, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is, I feel like Yelena is the real glue to the movie. Even though it's Natasha's story, she's the one that brought everything together. Yeah. And she's the emotional core of the movie because she helped everyone realize that, yes, they are our family, even though they want to deny it. Yeah, okay. I, I think, you know, continuing our discussion of that dinner table scene, after they go through the the banter of kind of falling back into being a family again, and after Melina tells us a little bit more about the the mind control you know, Natasha says, our family was never real. There's nothing to hold on to. And this is really Yelena, you know, Florence's big moment here. Really, so much of the emotional weight that you said is at the heart of the film when she says, you know, mm-hmm. don't say that. It was real. It was real to me. You're my mother. You were my real mother. Those agents you subjugated around the world, that was me. And, you know, again, uh, an incredible performance and and really just, and really just uh, you know, reveals her perspective on what those years in Ohio would have meant to her, you know, what it meant to a person. We talked about what they meant for Natasha, but then now here's this person who didn't get out in the way that, you know, Natasha needed out and she got out, right? How she was really, she had so much stripped away from her and taken from her. And all she has is these memories, right? The best part of my life was was fake and none of you told me. And just like the betrayal of that, it's just hugely, hugely powerful. Yeah, and I think that those memories were what kept her going for so long and helped her, even though consciously she wasn't able to do what she wanted to, but subconsciously it kept her human. Yeah, and absolutely. This scene that they have where she she really gets pissed off with the way everyone's behaving, it could have, France Pugh could have easily gone extremely hammy with it, mm-hmm. but she didn't. She She didn't come across like a come across as a spoiled brat, which I really appreciated. Yeah, it's so genuine and so real. And again, not to just make this the sing the praises of Florence Pugh section of the podcast, which is <laughs> what it's turning into, but she just has such a way, you know, in, in her other performances as well of of feeling like she's such an authentic presence. Like she feels like a real person, the way she moves, the way that she, her, her vocal inflections, um, her facial expressions, like she, it just really feels like she's there and she is not putting on a performance. Like she is just feeling these things and and doing what feels natural and right in the moment. She really has a wonderful knack for that. Yeah. She see, she feels like a fully fledged, well-rounded person, even though we're seeing only certain aspects of her in this movie. Yeah. And interestingly, I the first time I saw Florence Pugh was in Little Women. Mm. And we know she doesn't exactly play uh, the nicest character <laughs> there. She's a bit of a spoiled brat. Yeah. And I, I quite disliked her in the movie. So I guess in hindsight, she did a good job. That's right. <laughs> so when I find out, yeah. So when I found out that she's 
in this movie, I was a bit iffy. And then when I saw her performance, I said, "Uh uh-uh, okay, I see it now. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, she can do it all. She can play the... uh the unlikable character she needs to but she can also play the lovable character yeah she's got a good range and yeah i'm glad that we get to see her more moving forward oh, i can't wait i can't wait it's you know the mcu has really struck gold with so many of its casting choices and she's such a wonderful person to to kind of throw into this mix uh and if you like yeah, horror I-, I don't know if you've seen midsummer pretty brutal film oh no i'm a wimp no oh right okay you have you have mentioned this yes uh, you've mentioned this on the podcast before yeah Yeah, i will not recommend that to you then um because it's a pretty brutal (laughs) horror movie but a lot of you know a lot of violence and gore but um she's also fantastic it's the it's the it's the what do you call it um there's scare uh like the the tension and there's jump scares yes i seem to be forgetting the english language (laughs) that's all right (laughs) well there are actually a a couple of moments that got me in this movie even when natasha's driving the car and um taskmaster hits her on the bridge the car explodes yes that made me jump yeah but that was a very very good sequence oh my gosh yes i we can kind of go off track for a little bit when we're talking about the family but yeah let's talk about that sequence that was absolutely fantastic i loved that scene yeah yeah and clearly taskmaster is um is using captain america's movements over there yes yes and very well done yeah very well done and the music is just i i'm obsessed with the the score to this film the music in this scene especially like the taskmaster music cue is so eerie Mm -hmm. and uh, so good and when they're fighting yeah. and then um, Taskmaster mimics uh, or like really just mirrors Natasha's movement when they're kind of both fall into the pose and the music cue yes, there. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. so good. Yeah, it makes you feel like this is an unwinnable fight. Yes. Yes, the tension was great. I, I And I know there have been some critiques from comic fans who, you know, loved the portrayal of Taskmaster in the comics. And I understand that this is a very, very different portrayal. And so, you know, of course, if you have an attachment to a character and then you see an iteration of them on screen, that's not what you were expecting. I could understand why that might feel frustrating. So, you know, no no shade to anybody who was disappointed with Taskmaster. But I, I really enjoyed what they did with this character here because it feels like the unwinnable fight. Taskmaster feels so uh, frightening so nefarious and then you know we learn that taskmaster isn't the villain after all right taskmaster is not the villain to this film right taskmaster is a tool and that makes it all the more frightening um yeah true i uh, frankly i was a bit disappointed because taskmaster was so underutilized i i'm not familiar with from i'm not familiar with taskmaster from the comics but i do feel like the reveal and the eventual deprogramming of her was a bit rushed and I feel like we probably could have gotten a bit more or yeah. maybe hopefully in the future we get to see more of Taskmaster and the after effects of everything that's happened. Yeah, I feel that way as well. I, I do think that that is probably the weakest aspect of the film for me. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's not, you know, because they changed 
the character from the comics because I, I, I don't have that attachment to the comics. I haven't read a lot of comics. I haven't read right. any Taskmaster comics, but it, it it's more because of what you're saying, right? I think that um, the character looks so cool. The fighting is so cool. And, you know, again, not, in ta- I don't think, you know, it's not like, I think Taskmaster is a disappointing villain because again, I really think Drakov is the villain, but it would have been cool to see more, more action with Taskmaster and, and maybe a little bit more in t- insight into Antonia and, and whatever it might be. But I, I think, I think you might be onto something. I think that there might be room for that moving forward in the MCU that we might get a little bit more. Yeah, I really hope so because if it is, if this is it, this is what we saw of Taskmaster, I'd be very disappointed. Mm. And it's interesting to note that the stunt person who did all the stunts for Taskmaster was a man. Yes, I saw that. I I think the main one, I think they did use a few different doubles, but I think Mm -hmm. the one who did, yeah, who did the majority of the fights and stunts was, I forget his name now. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting choice. Certainly, we know from these films that there are a wealth of incredibly talented women stunt performers out there so it was kind of interesting do you what do you think do you think they did that to make it seem like a misdirect that like we'd be surprised that taskmaster was a woman underneath the suit i don't know yeah i think so i think they definitely did this as a misdirect because Mm -hmm. even when we when she takes off her mask if you look at the physical structure of the body and her head it doesn't match the, the aspects it it seems like her head has been put on another body. I, and I was curious about that as well because what little I know about uh, that actor, Olga Kirilenko, I believe is, his, is her name, is um, she had been in conversation to play Wonder Woman for a while and like she herself is a an action performer. So I, I was a little mm-hmm. curious as to why they didn't lean into the physicality that she does have. So yeah, kind of kind of interesting. And if it's true that she was in conversation to possibly play Wonder Woman, she's probably a very talented actress. And they basically just gave her one line. Yeah, I thought about that as well. Like, so she, when I heard that she, you know, was in conversation for something as big profile as that, I was like, oh, wow. So that's a really accomplished <laughs> actor then. Um, so why didn't we get more of her? I'm actually looking her up right now. She is a mm-hmm. Ukrainian French actress. And it looks like she has been in a number of films. Well, she's a writer and producer. Trying to confirm the Wonder Woman thing. Yeah, she's been in quite a number of films. I, I don't know if I have seen any of these performances or would remember if I did. But yeah, I wonder if they're usually a person like this, the MCU hires with the idea that they're going to be doing more in the future. So perhaps that is still an an option. Probably, I do hope so. But then the MCU does have a history of underutilizing a lot of their talent. <laughs> <laughs> that has also happened as well. Ah, yes, she. there are images of her screen test for Wonder Woman, and there's an article, an interview with her on Sci-Fi about... Losing the role of DCEU's Wonder Woman. All right. Well, for what it's I've worth. I've seen her. Yeah, I've seen her in uh, Quantum of Solace. Uh, she looked very different. Okay. That's why I didn't recognize her. But yeah, she was pretty good there. Yeah. So we'll see. Perhaps there could be more for, for her or for Taskmaster in the future. I yeah. guess getting back into our conversation about 
about the family and about Yelena and also this idea I, I'm going to try to force a transition here, right? Because we kind of spoke about <laughs> the fight scene between Natasha and Taskmaster and, and when they land in the pose and they're mirroring each other. There's a, a couple of moments mm-hmm. in the film of that kind of mirrored physicality. And there is one that occurs between Natasha and Yelena that I love so much. Uh, the entire sequence in Budapest, starting with Natasha approaching the building, getting the gun out from under the stairs and approaching the door. The sequence in which she fights with Yelena, the sequence in which they're on the run from the Widows and Taskmaster, I absolutely love. The mirroring and the interplay between Natasha and Yelena is so good, right? I know you're out there. I know you know I'm out there, right? Trying to figure out if they can trust each other. Are we going to talk like grownups? Is that what we are, right? And then this moment where Natasha rounds the corner and meets Yelena is like straight across from her in the camera. And right. it almost looks like she turns the corner, like she could be looking into a mirror um, and they're, they're facing each other with the guns. It's just a really cool shot that I like a lot. Yeah. And that fight scene was fantastic. The way they did that. So brutal. Yes. So good. I really, yeah. really love that fight scene. Speaking again to Florence Pugh's physicality and her authenticity, like when she's backing up, and, and Scarlett Johansson gives a great performance here, too. And, and when Scarlett's like, watch your step. And <laughs> and Yelena just kind of like <laughs> chuckles and is like, like, you know, like, it, it's just so good. It has that almost like sibling rivalry or like, you're going to break before I do. But then just, just a, such an authenticity to the performance, too. Yeah. And it also shows us that they're so evenly matched. Yes. Yes. When they like, grab but, each other's guns. <laughs> yeah. And towards the end of the fight, had... Natasha had Natasha not said okay truce they would have killed each other oh yeah they could have just choked each other out right there yeah 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 it's great (laughs) (laughs) there and then you know they have such a good chemistry too with the banter um you've grown up no shit and when Yelena is explaining the gas like how the red dust works <laughs> and yeah. Hash says in English next time, and then you know she says it's an antidote, but in Russian, like it's just great. It's it's like very very like sibling or or like close friend kind of banter. There's some rivalry. There's some bitterness. Definitely some bitterness there in their interactions at first. Uh, it's just really oh, lots lovely. of bitterness. Oh yeah, yeah, and they're constantly trying to push each other's buttons. Yes, uh, yes, and that is nothing if not a sibling rivalry. And one of the ways in which Yelena pushes Natasha's buttons is this kind of teasing, but kind of like these kind of pointed comments about her being an Avenger, right? Like, where's an Avenger when you need one, right? And later on, well, later on, Alexi even says, oh, you should have brought the Avenger super jet. Um, Oh, the, the comment Yelena makes, one of the big ones will come and avenge you, right? It's like they're almost undermining her role in the Avengers, right? On the one hand, Yelena's like, you're the only superhero person I know, like admitting like, yeah, you're a big deal, Natasha. But she's also like, oh, where's an Avenger when you need one? You know what I mean? Like she's kind of like um, messing with her. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's done intentionally throughout the movie because they are from the opposite end of the spectrum, right? So for them, the Avengers is this flashy uh, publicity stunt that is not needed that again it's that you know the 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 russian and the west mindset of being on opposite ends so they are undermining that and also this entire family is a family of spies they do their work in the shadows 
and Natasha is out there on magazine covers and being world famous, it's against everything that they have led to believe to be true and how they are supposed to be effective. Yeah, it's a great point. And it would explain also why there is that sense of bitterness there. Like, oh, yeah, you're saving the world with the cool kids. <laughs> you got no time for us, right? Like yeah. there's that flashiness to it that that somebody like Elena wouldn't respect that side of it, you know? I'm looking at the news trying to yeah. see Captain America bringing down the Red Room, right? Like she kind of sends it with this sense <laughs> of like, Ugh. so I think it's well done. And I, I think it also, you know, it, it has us as an audience consider, well, what is Natasha's relationship to being an Avenger? What does being an Avenger mean for her, you know, for any of them? And it's kind of like from a family perspective, if you have someone in your extended family who makes it big. So you kind of joke around with them. Oh, you're a big dude. You're a big guy now. Don't have time for the little people like us. There is that undermining yet a certain level of jealousy within that. Like, why couldn't I get there kind of thing? So, yeah, I think that plays in as well here. It's like, oh, I don't respect that. But also I'm kind of jealous of that. (laughs) Um, You know, and she said, I'm not the one on the cover of a magazine, right? You know, Natasha mentions a number of times that, you know, the Avengers are her family, right? They they offered her the sense of family. The cruelest thing that Natasha says to Yelena in this movie is when she says, you weren't really my sister, and Florence Pugh's face just falls. And then, of course, you know, yeah. her retort to that is, the Avengers aren't really your family. And I, I think that this movie asks us to think about what, what family means and and, you know, the extent to which... Natasha has no family or two. And it's something that has come up in all of the films, right? In Endgame, you know, when uh, I think it's Steve, do we know if she had a family? Or Tony says, do we know if she had a family? And Steve just says, yeah, us. That reads different now that we've seen this film and we know that she had this other this other group of people who genuinely cared for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that this was part of her programming, like what, like we discussed earlier with Alexi and Melina, and um, how they have this conflicting emotion of they love these girls, but still it's the part of their job. In this case, it's Natasha is stepping away and trying to say, oh, yeah, that was not real to kind of protect herself. I think so, too. And not want to miss that that dynamic. And that's probably the reason why she is dr- so drawn to the Avengers, where they, they love freely, they support freely. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense uh, that when she says that to Yelena, that it's coming from that place of I'm I'm saying this because this is what I've convinced myself of. I, I had to convince myself that you weren't really my sister. And yeah, it's a defense mechanism. Yeah. And then, you know, we see the relationship between the two of them grow in this film. It's so delightful. Their chemistry is so good when they're outside. Well, the whole sequence in the gas station and the fighting pose <laughs> is <laughs> so wonderful. It's so cute. And yeah, it's it's great. It's another really fun way, too, of kind of commenting on some of the past mistakes, so to speak, of the MCU. Not that her pose is really a, a mistake, but it's just something that has been established uh, that it's fun to have these kind of meta commentaries on like, yeah, superhero poses really aren't the most practical thing. Uh, and especially when Natasha first came on the scene in Iron Man, as you mentioned earlier, there's the sense of, every oh, everybody's looking at you, right? Like the sense of like, she has to be attractive and sexy and all these things. 
Um, yeah, yeah. For her, like the pose and all of that is more style, less substance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what's great about it too is that like we have this joke. Obviously, Yelena is teasing about the pose, drawing our attention to how the pose is, is silly and this and that. But it's something that Natasha does, and she continues to do the pose throughout <laughs> throughout the film. <laughs> and it's uh, I, it's cute. I, I like it. I like that she does the pose, but I like that Yelena commented on it. And of course, later in the film, Yelena is disgusted when she falls into the pose. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just really, really, really well done. And any time that again we get to see these two women who are both incredibly talented and, you know, can be vicious and like these trained fighters and whatever, but we're seeing these two different kind of approaches to it. And that's so wonderful to watch after so many years. And again, we've talked about how it's changed more recently, but there were so, so many years of like, okay, there's one lady on the team, right? And she has to be this one way. And so to kind of just get different approaches, it's, it's really refreshing. Yeah, and so many times, even if it is two women talking about something, it's they're talking about a man. Yes. And in this movie, the majority of the conversation is with women, and it's about women. Yes, very much so. And it's really, really, as I said, just refreshing to to see that. The relationship yeah. between the two of them is, it develops really wonderfully in that scene after the gas station when they're outside and they're like drinking a couple beers or whatever. And it opens up more, it reveals more about Yelena's experiences, about how she's still not sure kind of which parts were her and which weren't. And after she has that moment of vulnerability, Natasha like comes to sit next to her and kind of helps her with her wound. And uh, Yelena kind of talks about how she reinvented her story. And, and what I think is so sweet too and says a lot about Yelena is that in this reinvented story that she has it's all about her family it's not oh you know I'm rich and famous or I'm dating this person or that person or whatever it's yeah in my story my parents live in Ohio and my sister moved out west and she has this whole narrative about her science teacher sister and her son and this whole thing and it's it's just very sweet and then she kind of tells us that she wants a dog she's she's such a great character yeah absolutely yeah it really tells us the kind of person that she is. She just wants that love and family. Yeah. She's not interested in being uh, the most effective child assassin out there or anything like that. Right. She wants what all of us want, which is love and acceptance and family. 100%. And of course she takes Natasha's invitation when she, it's so heartbreaking when she's like, I don't really have anywhere to go back to. I guess I'll go anywhere. And you know, Natasha looks like she's going to give her the speech and she says more like an invitation. <laughs> and it's just it's such a good exchange that the two of them have. It sounds like a shitload of work, but could be fun though. So it's great. And I think that's, you know, a turning point that, okay, they're about to have this, um, this adventure together and work together. And, the opportunity to work with people collaboratively is such a, a beautiful thing for relationships. So a lot of the way they reunite in this film is like, you know, they're working toward this common goal. And I think that really does wonders for how we see them progress. Yeah, absolutely. And having that goal and going through all this and going through all this shit together, it brings people closer. Yeah. 
it's nothing nothing like trauma to bring you closer to another person who's experiencing it at the same time with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, but yes. It's it's so true and I think another bit of this film that's played for laughs and is really cute and is Florence being really charming is the whole vest thing and 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 Scarlett Johansson being really charming too. I have to have to give her props in the vest scenes. She's fantastic. But the vest also means so much more. <laughs> um, you know, the conversation that they have, it's like Elena is just so genuinely excited about this vest in this really innocent way and is just like almost desperate for this approval from Natasha. Like, like I want her to like it. I want her to like it. You know what I mean? And when Natasha yeah. kind of does admit, I like your vest, she's just like, oh, yes. Like, I knew you did, right? Like, she's kind of... <laughs> when she says... Um, you know, the point is I never had control of my own life before and now I do. I want to do things, right? Like she got to choose this vest as simple or silly as it may be, right? It's important for her. And to what you were saying, right? Like she doesn't, the story she's imagined for herself or what she wants to do with her newfound freedom is nothing flashy or anything like that. It's just like she simply wants to choose what she wants to wear and the fact that she then gives it to Natasha at the end of the film is I think really beautiful as well. It's about halfway through the film is kind of when I realized I'm like, wait, that's like the vest that Natasha wears in infinity war. And when she yeah. gave it to her, I was just like, it's, it's a very minor connection from one film to the next, but it says so much because it was such a meaningful article of clothing for Yelena. And as you said, all she really wants is to love and have this family. And so for her to give this a symbol kind of of her freedom to Natasha is, is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And for her to choose that best, yes, it, it's played off as a joke, but the, it is a monumental decision for her. Like, but yeah. like she said, she had no freedom before to choose anything for herself. It, it is also quite relatable because if you have grown up in a very controlling environment, there are times that you really cannot choose what you want to wear or what you do. And then once you get out of it, every small decision that you make is, uh, is, a, is a journey in, in joy and discovery and freedom. So for her to be able to pick up that vest and then later on give it to Natasha is incredible yeah and I really do hope that we get to explore more of Yelena's mindset and the way she is coping with everything after being mind controlled for so long yeah and see that so conflict and all of that yeah yeah I really hope so too I think you know the MCU has done a little bit of that exploration with Bucky, right? Of like, what does it mean to be faced with the fact that you have this history of making, and with Natasha as well, right? Like, oh, you have this history and you did things that you, in Bucky's case, didn't have any control over. In Natasha's case, were kind of conditioned into doing. What do you do now? Like, like with Bucky, right? Like, how do you live <laughs> uh, with that knowledge, yeah. right? How do you make things right? And I think Yelena would be, another way of it's not exactly the same and it shouldn't be but it, it's another way of um kind of similarly 
approaching that theme of choices and of kind of what makes a, a, a person who they are and, and how people can grow and, and change. I also think in the post credit scene, we see that Yelena does have a dog, which is really sweet. That made me really happy yeah. um, that she was able to get a dog. And she's wearing this outfit that's like very funky. It kind of looks like um, Alicia Silverstone from Clueless, like the yellow plaid and like kind of like some, some right. really funky pa- patterns. And yeah. I was curious about that too. I was like, you know, is this uh, because th- this outfit is like very loud and striking, like, you know, it's an, maybe another indication that she's enjoying making choices for herself and she's going to be like, fuck it. I'm going to wear whatever I want to wear <laughs> and just like experiment with patterns <laughs> or whatever it might be. Um, it's, that's maybe something that uh, kind of played into the decision making for the wardrobe there. Yeah, possibly. And she's d- essentially discovering herself as an adult. Yeah. And Which, so is Bucky. He's yeah. he has to discover himself like we saw in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. He had a journey from hating himself and all that grief and pain that he was experiencing to be in a better place. And this is probably moving forward, his beginning to discover himself. Similarly with Yelena to be in that position right now. And I think that there is a, that they did that intentionally in the post credit scene. They gave her these different conflicting patterns and bright colors to show us that, she is not a fashionista. She doesn't know. <laughs> she hasn't grown up yeah. like all the other younger, all these young girls who are so into fashion and colors and all that science behind it. Frankly, I don't really know much about it either. <laughs> <laughs> so it makes sense for her to be in that position and just learning of, oh, this works for me and this doesn't. Yeah, 100%. That freedom to, yeah, it, it, I am very much looking forward to seeing more of this character. And I hope that we get to see as much of that journey for her as possible. We know that Florence Pugh can absolutely pull it off, you know, the type of acting that would be necessary to like fully dive into that story and i just really hope we get to see as much of it as possible yeah it does sound as if she's going to show up in the hawkeye series very curious as to what that will be like knowing that she's going to be in the hawkeye series definitely makes me a bit more excited for that show so i think i I think it's confirmed that she's going to be in it i don't know how much she's going to be in it or not but i'm hoping for a future of uh yelena showing up in as many shows and movies as possible and um, being being a big character in the MCU. Yeah, me too. I can't wait to see more of her. Yeah. I just hope that they don't end up making her one of the bad guys. Agreed. Because if they do, I mean, she will do a good job and we will hate her, but we will hate ourselves for hating her as well. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't want to hate her. I don't want her on the same team as John Walker. <laughs> um, which is not to say that they couldn't still go in a direction with a John Walker that, you know, I'd begin to like him more. I already liked him more, you know, as uh, the Falcon show went on. But yeah, I, I don't, I want her to be on the, on the good team. Yeah. And I, I have faith in the writers 
in the MCU that they will turn things around and bring her onto the side that we want her to be on. I think so too, seeing the reception, you know, that this character has had and, and has how she's quickly become a, a fan favorite. Yeah, exactly. And who knows, maybe the writers are furiously rewriting her script <laughs> to make her more likable because of the reception she's got. Yeah, you don't know. I, I do think that they often, they leave a lot of doors open and then they make decisions kind of based on how things are being received. And yeah, with a character like Loki, you know, almost similarly kind of um, the younger sibling who <laughs> who is kind of yeah. stealing the show a lot of the times. And, and now look what's happened with that character and the the deep exploration that we've gotten of him and i think exactly um, you know like tom hiddleston you know in florence Pugh, there's an actor who really can do do so much so yeah true absolutely we um we've touched a decent bit on kind of this concept of of choices and how choice was taken away from all of the characters in this film all of the characters in the family but I, we haven't quite touched on yet, you know, the real villain of the film, Dreykov. And I, I, guess I, I guess you could say the villain of the film is the Red Room, is, but Dreykov is its uh, puppeteer, I guess you could say. And, mm-hmm. you know, Taskmaster is one of Dreykov's puppets. So this film is definitely sending a, a very real message about autonomy, about being able to have choices and control over things as simple as what you wear, as you were sp- speaking to with Yelena's vest, you know, choices about your bodily autonomy, right? As we touched on with the hysterectomy scene, um, yeah. the opening scenes really evoke imagery of of human trafficking and things like this. That mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't expecting out of Black Widow. I'll be honest; like, I didn't think that the uh, the villain, uh, the villainy of Black Widow was going to be about taking away women's choices. and But I'm really glad that it was. I, I think it was a really, really powerful, substantive story in that respect and not what not one I was necessarily expecting. And, and, you know, perhaps there is critique that the tone of that substance versus some of the more humorous parts of the movie don't necessarily... Mel, you know, gel together, but that's kind of what the MCU does, right? At the end of the day, the MCU is big mainstream entertainment. It's going to entertain us with action scenes and with comedy, but it also is going to to um, get at a deeper message. And I, I think this movie succeeds in that. What did you think of Dreykov and all of that? Well, frankly, Dreykov was built up to be this big villain, and throughout the movie, we build this this build this expectation towards him being like this larger than life character that we meet and we're supposed to be scared of when we actually meet him it may seem like a bit of a letdown but in reality it comes down to he's just a man yeah and he is a narcissistic monstrous man but he's still just a man he's right. nobody Right. And the, and all his power comes from exploiting weaker people, like young girls. And when finally we have Natasha, who is standing up to him and challenging him, he loses his shit. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes to show that he has never been challenged like that before. Exactly. 
and that he is really not an evenly matched adversary to her or or to anyone because it, it when in that kind of um you know personal face to face environment because he can't fight his own battles right he's punching her but it clearly doesn't have that much of an impact and if the pheromonal lock wasn't there she would have kicked his ass already yeah and he's all there's so much flaw in in his arrogance because as soon as she is challenging him and he he's saying oh i don't need to impress you i don't need to impress anyone but here here's my master plan and let me prove to you how powerful i am let me show you the network that i have and let me run my mouth and villain monologue about you know just how powerful i am because i have to sh- i have to like tell you i have to prove it to you and that you know we know that that was all part of Natasha's plan because Melina had told her about the pheromonal lock and everything else. And so she was faking being scared and she was faking the flinching and playing into his concept of his own power, as you said, which is just the, I'm going to exploit the weak. Right. So she's like, Oh, I'm going to flinch. Right. Um, and, and all yeah. of these things. And then, you know, she goads him into punching her and, and beating her up and showing him and showing her, the master plan, um, really playing off of his his arrogance. She even says, right, you're weak, but it's easier to be tough in front of defenseless little girls, like completely speaks to what you're saying. Yeah. And had he not, he's an, uh, he's an arrogant man, absolutely. But he's also a very insecure man. Oh, yeah. He, yeah, he's the epitome of a narcissist. Yeah. He wants to portray that he's the toughest person and the best and et cetera, et cetera. But deep down, he's a scared little boy. And that's the reason why he got so flustered so easily. Had he been truly heartless and monstrous as we, as he was portrayed to be, he wouldn't have given a shit about what Natasha said. Yes, and yes. he would have gone on doing his own thing. Yeah, absolutely. It completely, completely plays into, yeah, like that archetype of of this tough guy who is all talk and flash, but there's nothing really there to back it up. And as soon as you challenge that person, that person is going to end up kind of being their own undoing. Yeah, it's a fantastic scene. Not my favorite villain in the MCU. No, um, no. In terms of yeah. his character, you know, I didn't really have mm-hmm. an attachment to his character, but thematically, where the where the evil lies in this film, I I am on board with. Right, like the evil lying in, you know, she says to him, "You took my childhood, you took my choices, and you tried to break me, but you're never going to do that to anybody ever again." Right. The the evil here is treating these little girls, like Yelena says, like things, or like he says, like trash. Mm-hmm. That's the that is the source of the evil is this extreme disregard for these human beings. And I think that that's an interesting story. I think it thematically fits very well with what we're seeing for Natasha's um, character and the way the other members of the family have kind of played roles in this. Yeah. So, so as a character, you know, I didn't, love him as a character as a villain um but i do really enjoy the scene i enjoy seeing uh natasha say thank you for your cooperation again yeah as a as a villain like overall from the mcu he isn't one of the top 10 or even close right but 
for a movie so grounded in reality and things that are so relatable to people on a day-to-day level, he was a good villain in that sense. And at the end of it, he wasn't an overpowered or um, supernatural kind of villain. The villainy is just the evilness of humanity. Yes, exactly. And exactly. He, and he, yeah, and he's the perfect example of that. Like he doesn't see anyone else as human. Exactly. And what's interesting too is that it plays into, you know, this theme of free will, which is named in this movie. Melina even says, you know, we unlocked the key. We stole the key to unlocking free will. It's interesting mm-hmm. how this theme has really come up in all of phase four so far. Soon I'm going to be putting out an episode in which I discuss the this larger theme of phase four. It seems like phase four is saying something about free will and about choice. We see it in WandaVision. We see it a, a bit in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier even. And uh, certainly in Loki, it, it's driven home. So I, I am mm-hmm. kind of curious how that's going to continue to play out and if that might be some of the glue of MCU phase four is really like diving into these questions of, as you said, human evil coming from this place of exploiting others or, um, you know, yeah, just questions of, of free will being taken away and what that means. Yeah, and I think that there's been a major shift in the MCU from from what we can see in phase four onwards. The first three phases has all been a lot about following the market research kind of thing. Right. You know, like we know this will work, so this is what we're going to do. And now that they've comfortably established themselves as a force to be reckoned with, they're willing to take the risks and go with being more inclusive and talking about more serious issues and going more in depth and not being worried about alienating a certain section of their audience because they know that the audience is there. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. That there is more room for risk and that they, you know, Feige and and the other execs are, I, I think, more comfortable now with allowing writers and directors to bring in a little bit more of their own vision. Obviously, it needs to stay consistent, you know, with the larger yeah. storytelling, but to bring in a little mm-hmm. bit more of that risk creatively in addition to, um, you know, thematically, as you're saying, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, the the MCU will be better for it. Agreed. Agreed. It, ne- it needs to grow and change and uh, progress. And I think that we're definitely seeing that. And yeah, take bold new moves, whether that be in the format of doing TV series or whether that be in who who is at the helm of some of these projects or what type of stories are being told. Mm-hmm. So I want to give us a chance to talk about any scenes from the movie or anything else that we didn't explicitly connect to our thematic discussions so far, was there anything else that stood out to you? Well, the one thing that kind of stood out to me was that I was a bit dissatisfied with Dracos' death. Mm. Like he just gets enveloped in this fire and that's it. That's the end of it. I would have loved to have seen him being brutally beaten up by the widows. Mm. Like we saw Natasha being beaten up. 
that would have been very primarily satisfying. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't considered that, but I think I was like subconsciously grappling with it too, because every time the the plane blowing up scene comes on and you see his glasses kind of like um, floating through the flames, it feels like a little, I don't know, just anticlimactic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I like that it was Elena who, you know, went and blew up his plane. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it was a little, it was a little less personal yeah i agree it would have been very cool now that you mentioned it to see the widows just come at him even if we didn't see Ooh, yeah like <laughs> you know in the lion <laughs> king <laughs> when you see the hyenas like approaching scar and you don't uh-huh. actually see them attack scar but you kind of like hear it and you see the shadows it's a it's a, cause it's a, a children's cartoon <laughs> yeah um, yeah but you can kind of like the way they're approaching and, and you see scar try to like start to back up because he's like oh man like these hyenas who were totally under my control now they're coming for me and oh shit it would have yeah. been kind of cool to just see like the widows converging upon Drakov, even if we didn't see them you know start to beat him up the hint that they were about to beat him up would have been really cool yeah, and just seeing that fear on his face would have been very satisfying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, have you seen Game of Thrones? I have only ever seen season one of Game of Thrones. Okay, so later on in a couple of seasons later, there is this one character called Ramsey Bolton, and he is an absolutely monstrous person. He had a pack of wolves that he would let mm. loose on his victims and at the end he died when these by these wolves eating him up great so that was a very satisfying way of doing it and they did it in a similar way we didn't see him being brutally torn to pieces but we heard him you get the hint of it yeah 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 your game of thrones example is far more relevant to the type of thing you would see with like a marvel movie but yeah (laughs) The Lion King was my <laughs> reference point for that. Um, but yeah, yeah no, but that it works. It's, absolutely. It, as long as it gives you that satisfaction, that's good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I guess, you know, the only other thing, I mean, there are a lot of moments from the film that we didn't touch on that do speak to me in, in different ways. But I guess the only other one I, I really wanted to mention here is about the widows. So we, we kind of just spoke about the scene where they converge upon Natasha and then, you know, obviously Yelena lets the dust grenade go. And so um, they have the memories uh, or I guess they're, they're snapped out of their mind control. Right. I don't see this as a flaw of the movie black widow, because I think that they're leaving the door open for these stories to be told more so in the future, but it would be really cool to kind of see. And maybe Yelena will be our POV character for that, but just the experience of what it would be for, for these widows to, be taken out of that trance. You know, we see when it happens to Yelena that she's like, oh my God, what did I do? What do I do? And she kind of comes, you know, but she's immediately sharp and she's come to her senses. Like, you know, she like cuts her tracker out of her leg. Like um, the widows who were fighting Natasha, right? They immediately stop fighting Natasha. And one of them just says to her like, well, what do we do now? Right? So I think, it would, I think it would just be very, very cool to see more of those stories about these widows. And I also love at the end that they come back and 
when Yelena even says to them, like, you you came back for us. And then she, Yelena is just like so touched and kind of holds their hands. I thought that was really, really powerful moment. Yeah. So about that moment, I have a bit of a, uh, an issue here because if we notice uh, in this movie, first, when Yelena is snapped out of her mind control, the person she ends up killing is an Asian woman. Yes. And later on uh, in the movie, when when the, when uh, Natasha and Yelena are, fight, are escaping from the widows and the widow we mentioned earlier, she falls down with a broken leg mm. and Drakov makes her kill herself. She's a black woman. Right. And later on in, in the movie, when we have this inter- this conversation in the office and Drakov is showing Yelena sorry, showing Natasha all these girls that he has under control. We have a quick flip through of all different types of girls, different ethnicities, color, nationalities, all of that. Mm-hmm. And we end up end up freezing on this one girl. She's a blonde haired, blue eyed, cute little girl. And we zoom in on her. Right. I found I found that interesting because it's kind of, there's a certain, it seemed to me at least that there was a certain inherent bias that when we zoom in on this young Caucasian girl, that's kind of telling us, oh, you should connect with this girl. Like this could be you or this could be your daughter or your sister or someone like that. Whereas it could have been any of the other girls that we could have zoomed in on or stopped. And continuing that sort of trend, the scene that you mentioned where all these widows come together and say, we're with you, with Yelena. If you notice that the two two women who are speaking to Yelena are both women of color. Mm. And when Yelena's appreciative and holds their hand, it kind of gave me those, you know, this white savior, that white savior trope. Mm, mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It kind of gave me that feeling. So I was feeling a bit uncomfortable about that particular aspect, aspect of it. I think that's really interesting stuff. Thank you for bringing that up. And I also noticed the the zoom on the, the last girl who's shown the blonde hair, blue eyed little girl. And I, I mm-hmm. too noticed that. And I was like, hmm, the fact that it's the last image and then it zooms in on it, as you said, that's encouraging audience like, oh, this is your POV character, right? This is the one that right. we're going to encourage your empathy with. So I think you're absolutely right that it it does that. And that's kind of weird when clearly such an effort was made to show that the Widows are a very diverse group. Um, the second thought I had was maybe the reason why it zoomed in on that girl is because that's the girl who looks most like Natasha. But uh, frankly, like, you know, so if it's, if it's Natasha's POV in that moment of like looking at who she was, but then frankly, that's not really a great explanation either, because for that matter, it could have just been an image of Natasha. I mean, I don't know if those are supposed to be the current girls or whatever, but yeah, I agree with you that there's something weird about that. Yeah. It, it's an interesting balance of the group at the end talking with Yelena, like they're this diverse group, but Yelena is the one who like has the most voice here. She's the one who has the most agency here. She's the one whose story we've seen and we haven't seen it yeah. of these other women. And so I think that would be something that would be really cool to be able to see more of those stories too. 
Yeah, absolutely. And why is it that she should be the one to lead? Right. Obviously, we have seen this movie. We love Elena. We want, we know what she's capable of. But from an outsider's perspective, why would Elena be the one to lead yes. when all these other women are equally trained? 100%. Yes. <laughs> Outside of the like, we just watched Elena for two hours, right? Like for yeah. these actual women involved, they seem very quick to trust Elena and to trust Natasha too, right? Like even in that scene when they're taken out of their their mind control, it's very much like they look to Natasha for for guidance. And um, realistically, in that moment, they many of them may have even wanted to continue continue fighting her, right? Like if you were kind of snapped out of this mind control situation and found out like I don't know I don't know how long it would take you to process everything but I feel like there would have to be some confusion and some anger and resentment and other emotions as well so yeah really I I think that's a really good point it's kind of kind of interesting that they look to Natasha and Yelena for leadership yeah I mean Natasha you can understand to a certain extent because they have exposure to her because she's an Avenger fair but Yelena was one of them good point yeah yeah, and they haven't seen the movie, so they don't know anything else about her other than she was just one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, great point. I would love to see a movie of Yelena going and uh, Natasha mentions like, oh, Melina should copy the, the formula for the antidote and then you should be the one to go and tell the widows it's over. I would just love to watch that. Yeah. Like, just her interacting with a bunch of widows and, you know, helping. helping yeah, kind of like a... Yeah, kind of like a born identity sort of thriller movie of trying to get all of them uh, snap out of it. Yeah, that'd be Maybe really cool. we have like a mini series or something like that where we hit one, like one section at a time of women, uh, of widows. I would love that. <laughs> Disney, if you're listening, <laughs> Marvel, if you're listening, <laughs> you, you have some viewers for this hypothetical series. <laughs> Yes, and we will happily take some royalties for this idea. There you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, before we wrap up, do you have any last thoughts that we didn't get to? I think we covered quite a bit already. We did. Yeah, we, we, this was a really wonderful conversation, and I, I can't thank you enough for joining me to dig into this film and coming at it from different angles and, and, and bringing in a, a unique perspective. It's been a lot of fun, and I, I would absolutely love to work with you again in the future if the opportunity arises, and I'd love to be in touch about what you think about the upcoming MCU projects as well. Yeah, it's been an absolute joy to speak with you. It's it's so much fun. Frankly, I was very nervous when I started, <laughs> and now I have no problem going for another hour. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I'd love to speak to you again anytime. Please, that would be fantastic. And we have a lot of good stuff coming up in the MCU, a lot of opportunities to continue to have uh, these conversations. But before we go today, can you please just remind listeners where they can go if they want to listen to more of you and your co-host, Madam Chris, uh, and or interact with you on the internet? Yeah, so I'm Madam Amy. And my co-host, Madam Chris, we are the Marvelous Madams. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Tumblr at Marvel Madams. And you can also find us on our website, themarvelousmadams.com. 
And I really want to give my tagline, but I'm not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, I love your tagline. Yes. Maybe we'll leave it. uh, uh, We'll leave it a mystery and then people will have to go and listen to your show. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's kind of a habit for me because I sign off every time with it. So it's muscle memory (laughs) at this point. (laughs) Fantastic. So, yeah, we love talking about all things Marvel and you got a kind of a taste of the kind of discussions we have here. So if this is something you're interested in, join us and have a chat with us on Twitter. We love talking to all of you. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much, Amy. This was genuinely a pleasure. Looking forward to hearing more of your episodes at the Marvelous Madams and speaking with you again in the future. Thank you so much. I can't wait to speak to you again. (laughs) If you enjoyed this conversation about Black Widow, you can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Madam Amy's podcast, The Marvelous Madams, can be found at Marvel Madams on all social media. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow at Pender Illustrations on Instagram, and music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening, and next week you will hear me discuss phase four of the MCU so far with Chris Maverick of the Vox Popcast.